All right, good evening. <laughs> I actually started the lecture um, and then realized I hadn't started the recording. So, so we're gonna do a little catch up here tonight. And tonight we have Maxwell from somewhere in Delaware or somewhere out <laughs> next to the woods um, joining us. And uh, we were talking about Namu. Um, currently I'm writing a book called Namu and You. And I think this is very important. Um, we, we say this phrase, namu myoho renge kyo. And, uh, and, and, and when we speak it, and, and many times I suspect that we don't give any thought to what that means in our life. That namu is not just a word that we say. It's an activity that we engage in. The word means honor, revere, respect, devote, all those, pardon me, all those kinds of things. So what do we devote our life to? What do we honor? What do we revere? What do we respect in our life? Well, as Buddhists, we, we, we try to encourage people to devote themselves to honor, revere, so on and so forth, the Myoho Renge Kyo, the Lotus Sutra, which I have a copy here, and Maxwell has a copy of Reeves' version, and, uh, and so, uh, so that's what we encourage us to devote up to. But, um, pardon me, Maxwell, I'm going to use you tonight. Uh, That's fine. <laughs> Maxwell is a, a linguist, linguistics major, completing his uh, PhD in linguistics. So his life is devoted, in large part, to language and to understanding language and all the aspects of language. And he can tell you more about language than, than you even knew was possible. And a musician clarinet player devoted to the clarinet and he can tell you all kinds of things and analyze and but that's where his life is focused a gangster and i used this example earlier a gangster devotes their lives to gangster stuff might be murder extortion robbery drugs who knows what musicians devote their lives to music uh, scholars devote their lives to specialized areas of study. Doctors devote them their lives to medicine and healing and curing. Nurses devote their lives to healing and curing and taking care of people. And Buddhists, Buddhists, well, <laughs> we devote our lives to many different things. And not all the time is Buddhism <laughs> our primary focus. Um, and so, uh, so we, we are like dual devoted. We might be namu clarinet, namu myoho renge kyo. Ideally, ideally, our life becomes so immersed in myoho renge kyo that there's no differentiation between normal or whatever our daily life is and myoho renge kyo. But for most of us, we probably get angry <laughs> at times. We probably become impatient at long lines. Uh, we probably become frustrated at, at high prices. Uh, maybe we become angry at a partner or a good friend over some thing minor or big. Um, we might become hurt, upset if we lose a job or in Maxwell's case, I'm sure he's never gotten a bad grade, but, uh, but you know, if a bad grade were to occur, 
there might be some upsetness in that. And so that's actually our manifestation. So, so we, we devote ourselves in one direction to no holding a job. Our life, however, <laughs> our life, however, doesn't always represent no holding a job. And that's, that's telling. That's telling us that our devotion to Myoho Linga Jo is not as complete as it could be. You know, it's, it's one thing to know something. It's another thing to understand something. That's another thing to embrace something. That's another thing to manifest. So we can have all the theories and all the clever answers to all the, the difficult questions about concepts and teachings and ideas about, that are expressed in Buddhism. And that's good. It's, you know. But if it never goes beyond that, if it's just a, an accumulation of information, then our namu is maybe, maybe not where we, it could be. Maybe isn't doing us the greatest good. Each person has to decide that for themselves, of course. But um, when we turn that knowledge <coughs> into understanding and gain a, a, a comprehension of the relationship of the knowledge to our actions, then we our namu is going a little bit deeper. It's gone to a new level. And every level where we're able to get deeper and deeper and less focused on information, the accumulation of information is probably the least important thing in Buddhism. It's, it's not bad, but if that's as far as we go, well, that's as far as we've gone. And, um, and there's so much further we can go. You know, in the... Um, when we do our service, um, we recite, and I have to turn around here because I, I have it memorized if I'm performing a service, but I'm just, if I'm just doing it cold, and I don't have it memorized. So in our service, we have a portion of the service called Verses for Opening the Sutra. And in it, we say, just as perfume is caught by something put nearby, so shall we be richly benefited by this sutra, even when we are not aware of it being so benefited, because infinite merits are accumulated in this sutra. So, even if our namu is shallow, the sutra rubs off on us. We get a little bit of the perfume of the Lotus Sutra. If, however, we uh, allow ourselves to go deeper, you know, so, you know, you can sit next to perfume and you'll get some of the odor, but if you take your finger and put the perfume on the back of your neck or behind your ear or on your wrist, you'll smell even nicer, hopefully. <laughs> now, when I was a teenager, I'd bathe in the perfume and it would overwhelm people <laughs> because when when you put perfume on, you quit smelling it after a while. You quit smelling it on yourself. Other people can still smell it. And so when we're practicing the Lotus Sutra, sometimes we can, 
Well, two things. We can not see our benefit, or we can ignore the lessons that we could learn because we come, become complacent, too familiar in a way. We say, oh, that's okay. You know. Well, osmosis does work, even in our practice. Chanting Namu Myoho Rinkyo mindlessly does yield benefit. Just like sitting next to a perfume bottle will make you smell nice, eventually, <laughs> eventually. Um, if you've got high body odor, <laughs> you might have to sit next to that perfume bottle for a long time. And so it is with our life. We can chant Namu Myoho Rinkyo and never give it a second thought and just accumulate volumes and volumes and hours and hours of Odaimoku. And it will help. It will help. But when we begin to examine our life and say, wow, I sure didn't live according to the Lotus Sutra too much today. It was maybe 15 minutes when I was a good guy and, and 23 hours and 45 minutes when I was an asshole. Okay. Well, that's a starting point. At least, you, at least you're awake now. And you can say, wow, I'd like to take that 15 minutes to 20. And I'll take some time off for sleeping. <laughs> um, you know, so, uh, so we, that begins to become our namu, a reflection of our devotion to, our honoring, our revering, our respecting the teaching of the Lotus Sutra manifesting in our attempt to harmonize our actions with what we say we believe. You know, I can say I believe the Lotus Sutra and then go out and be the biggest asshole in Syracuse, New York. But it sure wouldn't look like it, would it? <laughs> I sure have a hard time convincing people that the Lotus Sutra was a good thing. <laughs> you know? So, what is your Namu? Where is your Namu? This gets into the whole thing, what I've been talking about is the oneness of subject and object. So, you are the subject. Nyohorengekyo is the object. And when they become unified, truly unified, when your life is at the point of no holding the job, and this becomes a oneness of subject and object, oneness of self and teaching. And this is when we can begin to truly manifest in a most effective way our Buddha nature, our Buddhahood, our enlightened state of being. So, and uh, let's see, we have, we have a few more minutes, and uh, so I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. This, uh, so what I'm going to say now is partly, partly for my own benefit to explore the idea that's been kind of tumbling around in, in my rock quarry of a brain up here. Uh, and that is that, uh, you know, when I first started chanting, people just said, well, you know, you chant to that piece of paper up there, and it works, and it's sort of like, and that people would say, it's like a $5 bill. Well, maybe they'd say it's five, maybe they said 20, I don't know. But anyway, they said it's like a $5 bill. And that $5 is worth something because you believe in it. Actually, no, the $5 is worth something because everybody else believes in it. 
I mean, that $5 isn't contingent upon my belief. That $5 is contingent upon everybody else's willingness to accept this piece of paper with green ink on it in exchange for certain other things. And this is kind of the same way in our practice. We believe, we have faith that this works, and everybody else also is unaware of the reality of the truth of the, the teaching, and yet there's, an ask, there's a part of them that's just waiting to hear Myoho Rengekyo. When the Buddha uh, sat in the stoop of many treasures above the congregation and raised the congregation up and then <coughs> brought back all the emanations of himself <coughs> and asked, who will teach this sutra in the time after I'm dead? And we went through a couple of people offering and you know, his refusal and so on and so forth. And eventually he said, no, I've got, I've got a group of people that I have trained from the infinite past who've been my disciples from time from a long time ago, okay? <laughs> and uh, Maxwell could probably come up with the word for me. Immor Im Im anyway, whatever, I'm showing my ignorance now. Um, and so at this point, the ground opens up and all of these bodhisattvas emerge from the ground. Gazillions and gazillions of them. I mean, you know, more than the sands and the, the river Ganges. That's a lot. That's a pretty big number. That's a, a big bunch of people. Maybe seven billion? Isn't that how many we got on this planet now? I think over seven billion now. Huh? I think it's more than seven billion now. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll just use eight billion then. <laughs> round it up a little bit or whatever. But the idea is, is that they're all out there. All those bodhisattvas are waiting, waiting to hear Myoho Rengekyo to reawaken and become aware of their past connection to the Buddha. And so we chant Namu Myoho Rengekyo and we act like an asshole. Well, we're not going to awaken too many Buddhas with that. But we chant Namu Myoho and we try really hard, you know, an hour to be a Buddha, to be a nice guy, to be compassionate, to be helpful. And that wakens that Buddha nature in those people who are witness and who are impacted by our life. You know, I, I'm a big proponent of saying thank you to the the cashier in Walmart. I've spoken about this so many times. People are probably tired of hearing me talk about being nice to the cashier in Walmart. It's important. It really is. You know, there's a lot of hate and discontention and discord in our society. How does it change? Well, it changes if we change. And if we're waiting for somebody else to change, then it won't ever change. Or if it does, it'll pass you by. I'd rather be an agent for good change in the time that I have. And so that's why I teach. Say thank you to that cashier at Walmart. I don't care if they're grumpy as hell, but be nice to them. Say thank you. Tell them how much you appreciate the work they're doing. You know, if they weren't doing it, we wouldn't be able to be there. 
you know, all the people who stock the shelves. And maybe you don't like Walmart. Maybe you prefer Costco or who knows what, <laughs> you know. Uh, for people out on the West Coast, maybe you prefer your Fred Myers. Everybody in, in Oregon and, and Washington has a Freddy, Freddy that they go to. <laughs> it's sort of like a cult thing. Anyway, uh, so thank the person. You don't know them. You don't have to know them. But you're related to them. You're related to them because they have the same thing in you that you have in yourself, and that's Buddhahood. And connect with that Buddhahood. Will they know? Maybe not. Probably not. But for one moment, you can make their day nice. You can't erase all of their problems. You're not going to eliminate all their sufferings. But for one moment, something nice happens to them. And you know, that, that, little, that little thing, you know, it's like, I mean, our whole world exists because of a butterfly. Isn't that the, the going wisdom that just, you know, all, all weather is a result of one butterfly flapping their wings and we're all just a figment of somebody's imagination just wandering around. Okay, so whatever. But our one little thing can have a significant impact on our whole entire world. You know, Donald Trump is just a, he's just one person. Look at the impact he's had. You know, I can't say it's favorable, <laughs> but he certainly had an impact. There have been, you know, I mean, like, I liked John Kennedy. I was sad. Know, when he was shot. Was he perfect? Nah, he wasn't perfect. I'm not either. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> you know, but, you know, he kind of rallied the country around at the time that we needed it. Obama, was he perfect? Nah, there's lots of things he did I, <laughs> I didn't agree with. I thought he could have been better. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, like I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't have done any good either. He certainly did a good job. Just one person, you know, just one person. The, uh, you know, what's his name? The, the guy who uh, shot, killed the 49 people at Pulse nightclub a couple of years ago in California, in uh, Florida. Just one person, just one person. So one person's important. Um, maybe we won't make history, but we can certainly begin to make changes. So when you awaken, the Buddha in another person, when you can, so the, the other person, Buddha inside is going, bah, wow, you know, when you can do that, then more people start believing in kindness, gratitude, appreciation, all of those kinds of things that we say we're in favor of, but many times we don't, we don't practice them. But when you express gratitude to someone, it's easier for them to express gratitude to someone else. If you're hateful to a person, it makes it really hard for that other person to be grateful. And that, that snowballs, it just keeps going. You know, in the Lotus Sutra, they talk about the benefit of the 50th person removed. <coughs> and the idea is that the first person who hears about the wonder wonderful teaching of the Lotus Sutra, 
gains tremendous benefit. And then they turn around and tell someone else. And that person gains tremendous benefit. And then that person turns around and says to somebody else. And that keeps going 50 times. The 50th person that hears this, so far removed from the original teaching, and yet the benefit that that 50th person receives is immeasurable. Well, think about that. If you give somebody a moment of joy, your life is replenished and theirs is nourished. And that's, I think, how we practice Namu. We devote ourselves to the Lotus Sutra. You know? um, so I don't know where I got off on the $5 uh, comparison. Maxwell can say whether that worked or not and give me some feedback on it. And I'm sure people who watch the video later on will also give me some feedback. But uh, anyway, it's part of my process of thinking out loud, writing out loud, <laughs> seeing what works, seeing if I can pull it all together or not. All right. So um, that's pretty much, you know, I could go off on other tangents and just talk ad nauseum, um, but I'd rather um, create some space for, so do you have any questions? I have so many questions, but I'm a very curious well, give person. One. So. Give me one. Uh, um, my dad is quite um, sick and in a bad place right now. Okay. And I love him very much. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been contemplating how do I tell him about, you know, the benefit of the Lotus Sutra. He's not into religion at all because of a bad, bad Christian kind of upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that. And so I don't want him to feel that I'm pressuring. So I sent him a message and I said, you know, oh, I was reading the Lotus Sutra and, you know, it says everybody's a Buddha and I just want you to know that you're a Buddha just as you are. Oh, you're one of those obnoxious people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Is that obnoxious? <laughs> When I, hear it, when I hear it, yeah, it is. It's like, okay, I'm not going to tell you about religion, but I'm going to tell you how good this religion is. I know, and I don't want to be like that. I but know, how do you how do you tell someone of the the greatness and the benefit without being obnoxious? So you know, um, sort of my philosophy of my temple, and you know what I tell people is, you know, coming from the Soka Gakkai, they're all about propagation. Propagate, propagate, propagate. Well, you know, that sort of doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's illogical. First off, if we believe, I mean, if we really believe that, and not just say it, but if we really believe that everybody is a Buddha, well, there's nothing to convert. There's nothing to propagate. They're already what they need to be. So your father is already a Buddha. Love him. Cherish him. Don't preach to him. Just live a good life. Live a good, a good as a good son. Sharing your joy. You know, you can, you can say things like, oh, you know, I just, you know, I, I listened to this old fart <laughs> teaching me about Buddhism. And I just had such a, a good time, or I had a terrible time, and I want to cry on your shoulder, Dad. This guy was a jerk and he made me sad, you know, or this guy was hilarious or whatever, <laughs> you know, and, and let him ask. Oh, yeah. 
Well, tell me, Maxwell, what did he say that was so upsetting? Or tell me, Maxwell, what did he say that made you laugh? <laughs> and you could say it. You know, he doesn't need to ask you. You're giving him benefit just by the joy in your life. You know, the Lotus Sutra says, okay, so what's my, what's my doctrinal foundation for what I just said? Okay, well, if you turn to, it doesn't matter which version, which translation you have, but if you turn to chapter 20, 20, oh, I always get confused whether it's 21 or 22. So give me a moment here. Okay, uh, all right, oh, I'm sorry, it's 22, chapter 22. So I'll give you a moment to get to chapter 22 in the Reeves book. All right, I'm getting there. I'm on 20. Take your time. 20, okay. It's and I don't have my copy up here. It's downstairs. 22. Or, nope, that's um, not there yet. Mm. All right, here we go. Okay, chapter 22. And I don't know, again, I don't have the Reeves version up here with me, so I can't tell you the words, but about, oh, in the... Murano book, it's like one, two, three, the fourth, the big paragraph, fourth, fourth okay. the first large paragraph, okay? Okay. Towards the end of that paragraph, it will say something like this. When you see anyone who does not receive this sutra by faith, you should show him some other profound teaching of mine. Teach him benefit him, and cause him to rejoice. When you do all of this, you will be able to repay the favors given to you by the Buddha. The Buddha doesn't tell us that we have to convert everybody to the Lotus Sutra. Step by step, little by little, awaken with him joy. That's why saying thank you to the cashier at Walmart. Right. Yeah. Is, is the action, action of the Buddha, of Namu in chapter 22. This is how we spread Buddhism. You don't have to convert anybody. They're already Buddhists. How are you going to convert a Buddha to be a Buddha? They're already a Buddha. <laughs> what we have to do, what we're, what, we're, what we're instructed to do, is create the kind of environment that that Buddha can manifest in that person's life. You don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know what they're going to be good at. You don't know, you know, I always tell people, it's, our, our thing is not to be like the Buddha was, but to be as the Buddha was. You know, we can't all sit under a tree. You know, I used to have uh, uh, someone that was coming to the temple. It was an air traffic control. I can guarantee you the Buddha knew nothing about air traffic control. <laughs> you know, if we had to be like the Buddha was, then we'd be all stuck under a tree and starved to death. <laughs> but if our goal is to be as the Buddha was, in his own place, then you can be an enlightened air traffic controller. And Maxwell, you can be an enlightened linguist. You know? That's what sure. is. 
So how, think about, you know, how can you create the most fertile environment for your father's innate Buddhahood right. to manifest? Yeah. You know, it's less important what teaching you give him than, than what kind of environment you create. You know, my dad, he, you know, before he died, he said, I always chant when I'm getting ready to put the ball into the hole on the green. <laughs> so that's the only time he'd ever chant when he was playing golf and he was getting ready to. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. You know, that's great. He didn't hate it. <laughs> so that's yeah. good. You know, uh, it's just fine. Was he perfect? No. <laughs> we had our moments. Um, you know, sometimes I wasn't as good a son as I could possibly. There were times when he wasn't as good a father as I wanted, but he was as good as he could be. Well, if I'm not as good a son as I can be, <laughs> I'm not even. I'm not even making halfway to what he's already doing. Um. Anyway, uh, we just try to create the best, most rich, fertile environment for the other person's Buddhahood to manifest. Whether they call it Christianity or you know, Jehovah's Witness or Seventh Day Adventist or Pentecostal or Amish or whatever, it doesn't matter. Names, 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 names. There's truths and everything. No, my preference is is that everybody would claim. Buddhism and the Lotus Sutra. But let's face it, that's uh, un not only unrealistic, but it's unfair. Unfair. You know, um, because that means everybody has to meet my standards of expectation. And who am I? You know, I'm just one old fart. You know, who do, why do I get to decide what should be right? So, um, yeah, if I can, if I can you know, visit with a prisoner, in prison and have them reflect on their crime and look deeply into the life and about how their life could be different next time something like that happened. You know, it doesn't matter if they claim they're Buddhist or not. They're wanting to make a change. Now if I went in there and said, oh, you gotta be a Buddhist. You know, oh yeah, sure some fanatics would join. But, you know, it's like, I don't want fanatics because I can't handle them. That's too high pressure, too much stress. Because <laughs> they're always checking, did you do this right? Did you do that right? Oh, you didn't do it that way. You know, it's like, I don't need that. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I don't want perfect people around me. <laughs> you know, I can relate to imperfect people. But most of us can't relate to perfect people. So if we're, if we're acting like a saint, I mean, your father knows you're not, you know. Your father knows all your weaknesses. Oh, for sure. You know? He knows when you love him and when you don't. So give him that love. Unconditional. Without, you know, it's like we give dana in Buddhism. We teach dana. I don't know, in the Gakkai, they may have not said anything about dana. I mean, they talk about gokuyo and donations and buying extra magazines and newspapers. But dana... The first of the paramitas, the first of the perfections, is to give without expectation of benefit or reward. When we can give our life joyfully, without an expectation that someone will be eternally grateful 
for our simple kindness. <laughs> and then we can approach the purity of sharing our life with someone else. Most of the time, though, people expect something. You know, I used to do this little thing. Some people already know about this. I used to do this little thing when I worked for downtown and for Bank of America for a number of years. I would go downstairs every so often. I'd just take a break from my cubicle, go downstairs, and I'd just stand at the door and hold the door open for people. And the activity for me was to see how long I could stand there and hold the door without people saying thank you and not become angry. <laughs> not become resentful because someone didn't say thank you for something that they didn't even ask for, mm -hmm. you know? That's the and, great thing. And, uh, you know, I'm weak, <laughs> you know, 15, 20 minutes, and then I'd start, in my head, I'd start saying, you didn't say thank you. What's the matter with you? And grateful. It's like, you know, you see, you see the, the perversion of that? <laughs> it's like, um, so, you know, I, I do these crazy things to test, to test myself and to test to see if, <laughs> if it makes sense. And uh, when we can give, you know, if you say thank you to that cashier at Walmart and she's grumpy or he's grumpy, it's like, okay, thank you. Maybe it's just too hard right now. And you, you know, me saying thank you, I don't deserve anything from them. They're already giving me something. They're, they're giving their life to me to ring up my purchases at a store I don't like. <laughs> you know? So why should I expect them to say, to, to give me anything just because I said thank you? I mean, they did something. I should be grateful. So thank you. Now, they're not required to be grateful to me for being grateful to them. But we do that. You know, it's like people say, well, I'm not going to give money to that beggar because they're going to go buy booze or drugs or whatever. No, the truth is, is you just don't want to give money to somebody who's, who's needing it. You want to put conditions and strings. And we do that in our faith, too. We're nice to people if they accept our religion. You see, that's, that's really perverted. So if you're not going to give money to the beggar, just say... I'm going to be an asshole and not give money to the beggar. Give, give unconditionally without strings. That, that, that person begging, they don't need your judgment. They don't need your morality. The father doesn't need your morality. He doesn't need your judgment. He needs your love. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's a long answer to a short question. No, I like it. Thank you. Any second thoughts on that? Any comments I think that's something that I would like to work on in my life because I know subconsciously I do I, I'm a very giving person and sometimes too much like I give too much of myself to the point where it's not very healthy but I know that sometimes when I give I do and, hmm? and I know oh yeah uh yeah when I when I uh Give sometimes they have this expectation of like, oh, somebody's gonna be grateful or say thank you to me or whatever. And it's like I could do without that. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. It's hard, you know. You know. Sometimes it takes a lot of effort to say thank you to somebody. And sometimes we feel that we made such a tremendous effort 
that there ought to be some recognition for that effort. No, that's, I think, how we're constructed. And what Buddhism is saying in the, in the, the Dhamma, in the first paramita, is that's all, you can do that. You know, it's like we say, okay, you can make a donation to the temple and you can take that off your taxes. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But that's not Dhamma. Because there's right. an expectation that you will receive something for your donation. Right. Even if it's a tax break. So it's not that it's wrong. It's just that that's not where, as Buddhists, we're striving to be. Now, I know I fall way short of that. And sometimes, you know, I try to make up for it. I give the, the guy over all, off the freeway over by the Burger King. I'll stop by Burger King and buy a couple of chocolate chip cookies and just pass them out to him as I'm driving by. You know, it's like, I don't expect his gratitude. I just would like for one moment, somebody just be nice to him, you know? And if I've got $5, I'll give him that as well. And I don't care what he does with it because he needs it. Right. You know? It's like, it's his life. Right. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, being a panhandler, being a beggar on the side of the road, that's hard work. You know, I mean, corporate CEOs are bigger beggars <laughs> with less effort, you know, wanting all these benefits and everything. You know, that guy standing on the side of the road, I tell you what, he works hard for whatever money he gets. And if he wants to go drink at the end of the night, <laughs> you know, if I were in his shoes, I might want to as well. You know, so I've got no place to judge. <laughs> Except that I don't, I don't think I could do it. Honestly, I don't, I don't think I have what it takes to stand up there on the side of the road and have people ridicule you and you know, hate you for, for nothing. No, anyway, I'm sorry. Did that come close to answering your question? Yeah, it definitely did. And I, I appreciate your insights a lot. Well, thank you. So um, let's see. We are, well, it, it, we have a few minutes left uh, before... I will wrap it up. So I'm going to end the recording now, and then you and I can hang out for a little bit and okay. chant some more dime books. So let us close by chanting together three times. Okay. 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 Namu Yo Namu Yo Thank you very much. Thanks for watching the video and uh I forgot something out of it. <laughs>